Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 47 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by TabEase.com, the best Delta edible on the market. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and I'm joined as always today by my good friends and co-host, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Let's say hello to the boys now, Casey and Hayden. How are you guys doing tonight? Hello, Wally. I am doing absolutely fantastic, man. Just finished my last school day, now 19 day break here that I'm much looking forward to. So I miss you guys, man. It's been a week. I don't know the last time that we had a week in between episodes before, but I feel like it's been a long time, at least a few months. So um excited to be back, man. And I'm excited to be back too, man. Hayden, you got to be getting pretty close to your own winter break over there. How are you doing, buddy? I have to survive one more day until I can get to my breaks. So I'm not as lucky as Casey. I don't get I don't get the Friday off, but tomorrow should be an interesting day. At least at our school, we're doing a Christmas program with our kids, and with the population of kids that we have, it always makes it a little uh, interesting. I guess I don't I don't know the word. Interesting is the only word I can think to describe it. So it'll be something. Just shy of Broadway quality. Is that what we're getting at? Oh, this this has to be a high dollar ticket to get in. I bet it is. I bet it is. But now, we're going to get into it right away. This is kind of like Christmas coming early for you guys here. Early signing day is now come and gone. I'm just going to throw it right over to you guys now. Casey, let us know what happened. And then both of you, give me just your immediate thoughts of what occurred yesterday. Yeah, it's like you were reading my, my notes here. I have it. It was like an early Christmas I was excited all day long. Right when I woke up, I had a, a lot of energy. I was on my computer way too much throughout the day, <laughs> way more than what I should be for my my job, I guess. Just keeping track of all the recruits, there was a ton of movement. You know, I felt like the Big Ten schools, there were a few that had a lot better classes than what I thought that they would end up with. So that was really nice to see. We'll get into some of that here in a little bit. But overall, man, it was one of the more um, fun early signing days that I've, I've seen in a long time. Hayden, what were your initial thoughts? More people that aren't used to talking about this were yesterday, and that's really because of some really big news obviously happening with Jackson State and Deion Sanders pulling the nation's number one overall recruit. What were your first thoughts on this signing day? Yeah, just just looking at the national landscape there was a lot that was going on one you hit a Travis Hunter going from Florida State to Jackson State is mind-boggling really but apparently he got a huge NIL deal uh, with Barstool it sounds like they might be doing like a documentary about him or something you know for just following his career for the next couple of years so that'll be very interesting to watch or to see how long maybe he sticks there before he might move on to a bigger school that he was, you know, leaning towards. Outside of that, Texas A&M had a monster day. Just absolutely crazy with Jim. I feel like we've said this the last couple of classes, like teams having monster signing days. Well, this year it was Texas A&M, and they went absolutely crazy with just five-star prospects and just loading up with a bunch of high-end guys. So... I you know I spent a lot of time kind of looking at the conference and it's it's always interesting to see the breakdown between the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West and 
just how that correlates to what we see on the field every year is just very interesting and also predictable at the same time. This really is your guys' baby here. We've been introducing the recruiting element for forever, really, on this show. However you guys want to go about this, the best way, I'm all for. Maybe let us know about some of the best Big Ten classes. And then, like Hayden said, the national landscape, too. There is some massive stuff going on, especially regarding the SEC at the very, very top. So what do you guys have for us? Can we can we talk about – I just want to talk about this first, and then I'll let Casey get on here. But looking if, – if you – 24-7 Sports is the best, in my opinion, the best website for recruiting information just because it takes into consideration – like the consensus ranking, rankings of every single major recruiting site. But if you look at the Big Ten only rankings, the only team in the West that's in the top eight is Iowa. And every other team in there, including Rutgers and Maryland, is in the top half of the conference. So we, we talked a lot last week and the week before about how the Big Ten East just runs the conference and wins every conference championship game. Well, this is exactly why, because when it comes signing day, you have seven out of eight teams at the top eight, all on the Big Ten East. And, you know, even even with Iowa being in there, it's not like they're anywhere close to recruiting like Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan. So it's just, it's, it's just crazy to see that. And I've never looked at it before this year. That closely, I guess. I, I'm sure I, I knew about it kind of in the back of my mind, but just to actually see that in writing and on the on you know documented is mind boggling. Yeah, Hayden, and I mean, like you said, we, we see it play out on the field almost every single year now. But to kind of touch on the the top classes, my goodness, you're right. Texas A&M had one hell of a day. Alabama had another great day, and and so did Georgia. When you can get recruiting classes of 24 or 26, like the case is, and you still have an average rating of a 94 or above, like that is elite of elite. It's just incredible. Like those three schools, they pulled 12 five-star prospects between the three of them. And, I mean, shoot, what's that? 50, 52 four-star prospects between the three of them too just unreal in the sec oh i mean that isn't very typical i guess to get so much of the top end talent but 12 sec schools rank in the top 24 of the total team rankings for all the classes so that's just absolutely incredible too you know ohio state had a smaller class that's why they're sitting at four they have the the quality it seems that they typically have. I tell you what, Penn State's class really impresses me too. They usually have pretty good classes, but to snag Drew Allar, he's now a five-star quarterback. I think they had one or two decommits, and one kid actually flipped from Penn State to Maryland, so he stayed in the conference. But just overall, I thought it was a pretty darn good day for the Big Ten recruiting-wise. You know, I could go and reel off all the guys that all the Big Ten teams got. I, I said that I was going to. I have it all in my notes that I was just going to acknowledge the commits that are three-star calibers on 247 or higher. But, I mean, there are there are still a ton of those. So, you know, I guess I'll just go – let's just go four-star. Four-star higher because I think we'll get a lot of uh, teams in there too. The first four-star just to commit 
either yesterday or the day before was Caden Curry, a nice defensive lineman, four-star kid from Indiana, committed to Ohio State. That was a big get. I forget who I saw on Twitter. Uh, one of the Bucknuts or 11 Warriors guys said that if he was in the state of Florida or Louisiana, he would be a top 30 guy. So I thought that that was very interesting. Nebraska landed a four-star cornerback, Jaden Gold, from New Jersey. He was a, a USC commit. That's a big-time get. He's got great size. I know Michigan was really going after him hard before he committed to USC, but ultimately he lands at Nebraska, so that was really, really good for them. Maryland steals a four-star running back commit from Virginia Tech, Ramon Brown. He is from Virginia, decided to go to Maryland over the uh, hometown team. Brett Bielema targets a JUCO transfer to attack the depth issues on the offensive line, getting a commitment from a big six foot six, 300-pound Isaiah Adams from uh, some JUCO in Kansas. So that was a pretty good get. Maryland lands another really nice four-star linebacker, Jaswan Barnum from Maryland. He was a South Carolina decommit, which is really interesting because Maryland had two really high, highly recruited, highly ranked linebackers in last year's class, and they're both in the transfer portal now. Terrence Lewis is was a five-star guy, ranked in the top 20. He's in the portal, and then I believe it's Brandon Brandon or Braylon Jennings was a former Michigan commit, top 100 guy, committed to Maryland. He is also in the portal too. So I, I guess if they can get the guys, they need to just get them to stay. That's the big issue, I, I suppose. Michigan gets former Clemson commit encoded high, high four-star safety Keon Saab from IMG Academy. In the summer, this kid was a top 15 player, five-star Dropped a little bit in the rankings, but really solid built kid. I think he'll be able to see some playing time next year with Michigan having the a safety spot or, or probably two available next year. Let's see what we got. Maryland lands another four-star athlete, Octavian Smith Jr. He is from Maryland. I put a little note here that they're really turning this class into one of the best Maryland recruiting class that, classes that I can remember in recent years. Four-star defensive lineman Dominic James commits to Indiana. He's from Florida. Tom Allen's typically done a pretty darn good job recruiting the state of Florida. But anytime or Minnesota, or shoot, Indiana can land a four-star. That's really a big deal. Hey, real quick, I actually can add some value in this segment for a change. I saw that they had 19 commits from this class, and that 12 of them were actually from Florida or Ohio. And they actually only got four kids in-state in Indiana. Is this typical of Tom Allen, or is this kind of a new wave or approach he's after here? Yeah, that's that's a great point. I don't follow Indiana recruiting as much as I sh- probably should, but looking back in their last class, you're, I mean, they, they hit home a little bit more. In 2021, they have, uh, it looks like, four or five commits from there. There was a small class, but they hit the transfer portal pretty heavy. Last year, they do have a few guys from Florida, but it does seem like his connections, I believe Penix was from Florida or something like that. I remember when Indiana was good last year, they kept talking about how Tom Allen recruits Florida very well. So, you know, I, I could really dig into that more if, if if we wanted to, but I doubt we want to get too deep into that. Yeah, I'm not so sure that the 2-10 in Indiana Hoosiers deserve that much time on our part here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Michigan gets another commit 
a guy that they were really targeting the past couple weeks really, really hard. Former Oregon commit, four-star wide receiver Darius Clemens. He is from Oregon as well. So his pro comp is Allen Robinson. And so if if Michigan gets any sort of that play from him, that would be really good for them. And then finally, the, the last four-star above, Michigan got another big recruiting win, gaining four-star Defensive lineman Derek Moore out of Maryland. He's a top 100 guy. Recently decommitted from Oklahoma. You know, just uh, a really good get for Michigan there, too. If anybody has any comments on any of those or anything that I missed recruiting athlete-wise, just say something before I get into my little notes here at the end of it. Hayden, I was going to ask you first, but Casey, I'd love to hear your answer as well. But Casey, you just mentioned how Ohio State was a little bit more Quality over quantity this year. That was a bit of a theme with Wisconsin as well, where earlier, actually right when we started this podcast, we talked about how thin this class was. Is this going to be something with the transfer portal being more prevalent that you're going to see teams focus on the quality opposed to the mass numbers we're used to seeing? See, my initial thoughts on that are, like, wouldn't you want bigger classes with the way the transfer portal's going nowadays, just to get kind of as many, you know, guys in there as you can and, you know, two or three transfer out, then so be it. But when you when you got a class that only has 14 commits and you lose two or three guys, you're like, oh, this class isn't isn't really worth anything. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on that. That's a great point. It, it clearly does not matter for... Nick Saban and any of the SEC schools, they're they're loading up with their 25, 26, 28 guys. I, I, Wally, I honestly, I don't know. I think there's so much left that we still, you know, we got to see how the transfer portal is going to work out and the cause and effect that it's going to have across the country, especially in recruiting, because I, I think it's all just, we're just not deep enough into it yet. And I, I think college coaches, quite frankly, I, st- I don't think they know. And I don't think recruiting departments know quite what to expect it either. So sorry, I, I, I don't, I don't think I can answer. It's weird because the only thing I can think of in my head in terms of arguments for both sides, one is like Casey, you take the bigger class. And if you lose these guys, you still feel pretty good about yourself in your depth. Whereas if you take the Wisconsin approach, say, hey, we're really going to hone in on these guys. We want to be a part of this program. And with the transfer portal, almost attack it the way Mel Tucker did last year after the fact. Like, where are we thin? What are we looking at going into spring? It's like you guys said, this is so new, not only for us, but for these coaches and programs too. And it's almost as if everyone's got their own unique approach to this right now. Well, and a thing that keeps kind of popping into my mind is like people who are listening might not know, but Elias Ricks went to the transfer portal who one was very highly rated. And two, when he was healthy, not last year, but the year before he was pretty productive and pretty good. It's just interesting to see like how many of those caliber guys are going to be in the portal. Right? Like LSU was a unique situation that, you know, he committed, off the heels of winning a title, right? Like, I think he was the first class after. And so, you know, he's expected to go there and kind of keep that up. And then things kind of fall apart. Like, that's just a unique situation. It'll be interesting to see, like, teams like Ohio State, if 
they're like, okay, we, we're, we're going to settle and we're going to take less guys in the class and we're going to try and find some guys in the portal. But when you look at the portal, like how many of those high, high quality guys that Ohio State is going to be targeting that are going to be available in the portal? And I, and I don't think there's going to be that many, you know, because I think if you're very talented and very good, most likely, one, you went to a school out of high school that like had the track record of putting you in the NFL and is already good. So you would have to find like those dumpster fires like LSU or maybe Texas to get guys to transfer from. But it, it just seems like there's going to be fewer of those guys. I would agree with that, Hayden. But then, you know, in you might find uh, Kenneth Walker. I, he wasn't necessarily the most highly touted transfer coming in and shoot was a Heisman finalist or not a Heisman finalist sorry Wally uh finished in the top five I believe of the of the Heisman voting or top six something like that but you know I think this year there were a lot of quality guys in the transfer portal uh obviously Quinn Ewers Spencer Rattler Dylan Gabriel Max Johnson guys that started a lot or guys that played a lot outside of Quinn Ewers for some pretty big time programs heading into different locations this this next coming year. I I just think it's so hard to weigh and coaches will figure it out. They really will. I don't know if you go after a guy like Spencer Rattler who has you're only going to get him for one year or do you invest your recruiting efforts in a guy that, you know, might be a four-star quarterback, not rated as high as what Spencer Rattler was coming out of high school, but you you know you'll have more time with him, so I mean, too, it's interesting. It's a only, double-edged sword. It's only the beginning, like you said, and there, there's still so much more to figure out. We really don't know what method works best right now, I would say. Yeah, and just to kind of add my two cents to that, I think I, I will guarantee that Nick Saban and Ryan Day and uh, Dabo Swinney and whoever else are going to figure it out and they're going to find the right formula to attract the the right amount of high school talent and still be able to get whatever portal guy that they find necessary for their team. Well, I mean, if you just think about it, in recent years, last year, Alabama did arguably the best job out of anybody. They got Henry Toto and Jamison Williams from the transfer portal too, and those were guys that made tremendous impacts for their success this year. So, And by the way, Eli Ricks committed to Alabama. So Saban obviously takes in a big class and is still going for these high caliber guys in in the portal as well. And those are all three guys that had a direct impact on Ohio State and therefore the Big Ten at large. I mean, this early investigative period is where I believe you'll see the greatest disparity, I guess, between teams. Whoever figures it out first will probably get a year or two of the rewards before everybody else catches up to them. And the way it looks right now, I mean, God, it's Nick Saban yet again kind of has a lead over everybody else. Yeah, I... I Saban's got another advantage on everybody. Sweet. Yeah, I'm kind of a, a little confused, I guess. I don't know, because everything that I've read was that Ohio State kind of cooled on Elias Ricks and basically said we're going to stick with the guys that we have. What doesn't make sense is, this is my personal opinion, and maybe I'm wrong. Anytime you can add elite talent to your roster in college football, I... I think you have to do it. If you're going to make a, a younger guy upset over the fact that you're bringing in a talented guy who has more experience, who you know 
can play right away, then so be it. But for Ohio State to pass up on, I'm not saying they would have got him, but like to kind of stop even going after Ricks, to have their corner, uh, their highest rated corner yesterday in the recruiting class go, it's like, what are we doing? If you go after, I mean, like, you you lost both because you decided to cool on one. It just, it doesn't make sense, but it's it's where we're at. Well, and it's kind of ironic, too, because it feels like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth if you're the Buckeyes here. Like, a few years ago, we bring in Justin Fields, and what was the talk around everything? Iron sharpens iron. See you later, Tate Martell. If you don't want competition and kick rocks. And then now, it's like we're avoiding to bring in this elite corner prospect. Because why? Because maybe we're worried about hurting someone's feelings in the locker room right now? No, I'm not understanding it either. I'd love to actually know because it just felt like an excuse that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> this That reminds me. One of my favorite, col- I don't know what he is, a columnist? That, is that a writer? A sports writer? A columnist? Anyway, he's a sports writer for The Athletic. One of my favorite reads and podcast listeners, Ari Wasserman, wrote an article, and I actually just reread this article, and it was about Ryan Day in Ohio State uh, when they brought in Justin Fields. The way that he described Ryan Day was, he said was he was ruthless because he brought in a quarterback commit on top of you know what he had in the class, which... Nobody outside of Ohio State knew what Tate Martell was. Apparently, Ryan Day knew. He was highly rated coming from high school. But, like, looking now, two years later, is where's that ruthlessness? You're, you you weren't worried about your quarterback room when you brought in Justin Fields, but now you don't want to bring in a corner because, what, it might hurt your younger depth at corner anyway? Like I, I don't, It's just interesting how things change in a matter of two years. Just a few other pieces of football news I wanted to sprinkle in here for you guys. We were just talking about him a moment ago, but Kenneth Walker III is declaring he will be going to the NFL draft and is skipping the Peach Bowl. So that Peach Bowl game really is seemingly losing steam by the day in terms of the appeal of it. Of course, the other news, which is a bit happier for Big Ten fans, keeping with the momentum that they have in recruiting, Maryland is going to get Dante Demas back for a senior year. I know it probably annoyed everyone at home, by bringing him up as often as I did this year and the injury and all that stuff. But that game was so important to this team. And when he is performing like he was at the start of this year, I mean, we saw one of the hottest starts or at least one of the hottest starts for Maryland we've seen in our lives. And now they're really capitalizing on that momentum, whether that's on the recruiting trail or the field. Great news in College Park and Mike Loxley's crew. Well, you're absolutely right about the that Peach Bowl Losing some steam now, Kenny Pickett. I don't think he's decided anything yet, but you know what seemed like to be one of the more fun matchups in the bowl season is slowly, um, I, I guess, losing steam. Like like we said, but um, on the Demas front here, good for Maryland. I mean, we saw the difference that he made in that Maryland team. Now, does it take him from six and six to ten and two? Probably not. But they were significantly worse on offense when he went down. So it's really nice to see him coming back, and hopefully he can make a big impact for them again next season. I don't know if you saw, but Pat Narduzzi had some comments in his presser today that made me just feel like Kenny Pickett would skip the game. You mentioned how if he didn't get hurt in that game, that it would, or if he did get hurt, excuse me, that would be on his mind forever. Basically, he was pushing him to go that route. 
And when your head coach is pushing you to skip a game, you got to imagine it's going to be really difficult to sue it up, especially when the game doesn't really have all that much meaning to it. I agree with you. I think that as one, if you're in a press conference, and I don't know what the question was asked, but that's the right answer. Like, you, you don't want to say, yeah, you know, we, we really need Kenny out there. Kenny's got to play for us to win this, this, and this, and, you know, make the kid feel bad if, if he doesn't go out there because this dude's going to be a first-round pick, and he's got millions of dollars waiting for him. So if, if he were to get injured, I'm sure actually would be on Narduzzi's mind for, for a long time. So I don't think he's lying, but I think, you know, that should be your typical coach answer. Do we have anything else we want to talk about football-wise or time to go over to the hardwood? Yeah, I could. Uh, I I have a couple things written down. If we can go back to the recruiting, of course. So you know, obviously diving into Michigan and Ohio State's recruiting classes a little bit more than I do other teams. I, I feel like I was getting into Penn State's a little bit this year, just because that class was really really good in my opinion. But one concern that I have with the Michigan recruiting class this time around, and really for the past few classes is that they are not keeping their higher recruits in the state of Michigan to stay with the program. You know, five-star defensive tackle, I know Hayden's not very high on him. And last year's class goes all the way to Alabama. But the top 10 recruits in the state of Michigan, this this 2022 class, are four stars or better. And Michigan only landed one of them. Now, it was the best one. It was five-star Will Johnson. But uh, this is a, a major concern in my eyes even though they ended up with a decent recruiting class. And, and that it, it was just that. I know Michigan's signing day was really, really good. But if you look at this overall class, these Michigan fans need to chill uh, with the expectations of this class because on, on paper, this is Harbaugh's third worst recruiting class since his time at Michigan. And if you want to take out the 2015 class where he was only on the job for four months, it's the second worst class he signed. So, you know, Michigan fans, you had a great day yesterday, but overall this class is not any better than any of the years previous. So my, my first thing is Michigan, chill. You, you had a decent class, but it's not anything out of the ordinary. Wally, do you, do you have something to touch on there? You kind of look. No, I'm just stunned by that, actually. I didn't realize that. I mean, all the buzz since the game has been about how much momentum they have. I mean, you keep hearing that word momentum. So that's just really good to know, Casey. Yeah, and you know, you could argue that the quality of players that they've got committed and signed since the game has been better. And there's really no arguing that. But, I mean, the the class is 23 people, you know, 23 student-athletes big. It's not four. And so while there are good pieces and, you know, I think a lot of good players could come out of it, on paper, it's no better than any, basically any of the other classes that Michigan's had under Harbaugh. So just wanted to throw that out there because I know we, we've heard a lot of hype about Michigan on that early signing day. Chill out a little bit on the hype. But another concern I have, and, and Wally, you kind, of, you kind of made me realize this at the beginning of the show, you know, Ohio State and Wisconsin have had really kind of small recruiting classes for the past few years. They're like three, three or four classes now. And I was talking with Hayden the other day and, you know, the past four recruiting classes for Ohio State, when you take out the transfers, their biggest class is 22 athletes. 
and Wisconsin's is even smaller than that when you go pat four recruiting classes back. So I, you know, I I don't know if if that's a concern or not for me. But typically, what you see is you'll have a, a class of you know twenty to twenty two, and then you might have an eighteen class, and then boom, you get like a twenty eight to to thirty class or or something like that. And, you know, Ohio State or Wisconsin, now that you pointed that out, haven't had that in, in a number of years now. So I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on if you think that, you know, that is, is a concern for either program or if I just have way too much time on my hands nowadays. So <laughs> not a concern. Can you expand on that, though, Hayden? Because I know that this is your guys' baby and you pay attention to this 12 months a year. I hand up don't know nearly as much about this as you guys do. So like I would think it's a concern, but I really don't have the reasons or the ability to defend it. So please, can you elaborate a little bit? I, I suppose I say I'm not worried because number one, this class hasn't finished yet. Uh, we still have the actual signing day. Not the, not, not, no, I don't mean the actual signing day. The, it used to be the normal signing day before the early signing day. And Ohio State's probably going to add a couple more guys to get them into the 20s. So still not a ton, but bigger than what it is now. And also, we just talked about the transfer portal for 20 minutes. If there are holes that need to be filled, Ryan Day has already shown that he's willing to do that. He's done it with quarterbacks. He's done it with offensive line play, particularly with Jonah Jackson. A couple years ago, he's done it with running backs, Trey Sermon. They they tried to do it last year with Toe uh, Toe. So it's not concerning because they will always find guys, you know, to fill the roster if that's what you're worried about. If you're worried about depth, you can always add depth guys in the in the from the portal. You don't have to go out and get Elias Ricks to add depth in the portal. You know what I'm saying? Ohio State brings in enough young talent that bring in maybe an older, less talented, experienced player can do benefits to a team just as bringing in young, inexperienced, talented players, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just curious and obviously hoping you're right. Your route's a lot more optimistic for Buckeye fans. I just don't think that Ohio State and Mark Pantone is not going to allow or let Ohio State fall into some sort of horrible situation with scholarship numbers because one Mark Pantone has been doing this for a decade now and he did it at Florida and he's done it at Ohio State very very successfully so I I have all the confidence that he will will figure out the situation and understand the portal to use numbers to the best of their ability yeah Hayden uh you you said that you know Ryan Day has showed that he's willing to go to the portal for need. I just wanted to ask if you think that cornerback is or is not a need for Ohio State this coming year and why why they did back off of Eli Ricks. Because I, in my opinion, I think it is going to be a need for Ohio State next year. I, I think you're kind of splitting hairs right now because I opened the show saying that it's very confusing that they did not do that when I thought that adding – Talent, especially very talented players at any point is a, a focal point. And so I opened the show by saying I, that's very confusing. Now, I, I don't know why they stopped doing that. I don't know. 
But is it concerning? No, because last recruiting class they had two at least very highly rated corners that they are going to be counting on this year. And it's not a foregone conclusion yet that Cameron Brown is is gone. There's there's a possibility that he is back next year. And when healthy, I, I think he is a good cornerback. So to answer your question, I don't know how else to say it. I've said it the whole show. I, yes, it's very it's bizarre that they didn't do it. I don't know why they didn't. But in every other scenario, Brian Day has shown that he has brought in or he is willing to bring in transfers to fill a need. So were you just asking that to fire me up, or what was your whole goal in that? No, I, I was just genu- genuinely curious because, you know, you kind of said that Ryan Day attacks the portal for needs, and I thought that that was a need. No, I didn't say he attacks it. I said he's willing to use it when it's necessary. And, and, okay, and the, the, yeah, so then I just wanted to, I guess, get your opinion. If you personally thought it was necessary... My personal opinion is that you should always add talent whenever you can. But I think Ohio State is going to be fine at corner this year with Denzel Burke and one of the younger guys out there. Yes, Elias Ricks is going to be better than Jordan Hancock or J.K. Johnson or whoever or Cam Brown or whoever's playing cornerback opposite of Burke. Yes, he's going to be better. But will they be fine? They were fine... Well, no, they weren't fine this year, but they still won 10 games. So it's you can always try to cover up some of those areas of need. I always love listening to you guys bicker back and forth. You're, you're like a fun little old married couple, so that was great. But do you guys have any other final words? He, just, he, he <laughs> likes to say these things to raise my blood pressure and get me fired up. That's the only reason, I America, guess. that's the only reason he asked. He had no other... No other response to anything that I said other than a thumbs up because he knew he was only doing it to get a reaction out of me. I, I just wanted your opinion and that and that I got it. I don't know what else to say to it. This is great. Do either of you have any final football thoughts right now? Or- yeah, is this, is this the end of the show? Are we done? <laughs> not quite, not quite. We're going to get to our lot, a little bit of basketball news anyways. Casey, you good on the recruiting side of things? He's giving up Hayden's thumbs up there for the world. So let's now get to some basketball talk. We want to remind you guys that Pigskins and Nylon is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabby's offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabby's.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. Mint is my personal go-to, and it's perfect anytime you are feeling anxiety and stress running your life. As some of you may know, I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time, Products like this really help me when I'm feeling overwhelmed. It's not a quick fix, but it really has helped me, and I'd recommend them to anybody, even if they weren't our sponsor. So please make sure you do follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tabby's Co. That's Tabby's Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbies.com, and with the promo code BIG10, you can get 20% off your entire order 
and free shipping. Hayden, how about you fill us in on what happened this last week in the, the Big Ten basketball world? The wild, wild west of Big Ten basketball. A lot kind of has happened in the last week. Particularly, this is going back a week now since we're only doing one show a week. Rutgers hit a half quarter to beat Purdue, which, you know, Purdue didn't play very, very good. So take it with a grain of salt, but uh, Rutgers got the job done. So good for them. Iowa State hosted Iowa, and I said that that line was fishy before, and it turns out that I was right. Iowa State just beat the shit out of Iowa, so that was fun, uh, or not fun for Big Ten fans. Uh, Ohio State, and particularly EJ Liddell, beat Wisconsin pretty good. That game was close, particularly in the first half, but towards the second half, it was more of a 10 to 15 point game the whole the whole way. Auburn, quite frankly, was just better than Nebraska. Michigan State beat Penn State, which is no surprise. Illinois played a really, really tough game. We talked about this game a lot uh, with Arizona. And actually, Illinois, I watched that game. Illinois led for like the whole first half, really, and into the second half and just just couldn't uh, hang on. They lost that game close. Minnesota, we, we, we said our group chat is always just rocking. We, we said after this game, we got to give Minnesota some more credit. Minnesota beat Michigan at Michigan, so, a, you know, a big road win for Minnesota. We got to give them a little bit more credit here as we move forward. Going into Sunday, Purdue still, you know, bouncing back after that weird game at Rutgers. Barely beats NC State in double overtime. Maryland, actually, this is nice. Got a huge win against Florida. Florida is a team that Ohio State lost to earlier this year, so that's a good one for Maryland. And then Seton Hall beats... Rutgers, Indiana beats Merrimack, and I'm not even going to mention the Northwestern game because they don't deserve it for playing. And what is it, New Jersey Institute of Technology? There you go. Congrats. You made the show. They lost. Gosh, here we go. Tuesday, Minnesota beat A&M. Wednesday, Wisconsin survived against Nickel State. Now, take that with an asterisk. Davis was out with an illness, and he has been their best player by far this season. So let's open it up. Open it up. Who wants to talk about a game? I'll go first here. We have this weird gift with our show of whoever we dog on hardest in preseason and expect to struggle, whether it be football or basketball now, the team either lights it up or at the very least overachieves. And this is no different. This Minnesota team. I mean, in a back and forth game with Michigan on the road until half, frankly dominated the second half. And now we're looking at this Gopher team, and the goal has to be make the tournament now. We're at the point of the year where even just 500 playing conference will be more than good enough to get in. None of us expected to even be looking closely at this Minnesota team at this point, so credit to them. But Casey, I know this was against your Wolverines. Do you want to add a bit more to this game at all? Yeah, you know, congrats to Minnesota. They played a really, really good second half. And, you know, you're, you're right, Wally. I think at this point, Minnesota can probably go 500, win their home games, and, and make the tournament now. But on, on the on the flip side, Michigan's got a lot of work to do. They've lost some games that we really didn't expect them to at this point in the season. And, and I, you know, Hayden, I think he thinks I'm trolling or whatever, but right now Michigan is just not very good. You know, their defensive struggles are very, very real. Specifically at the point guard position, Devontae Jones is not a good defender. 
he is not very athletic. He is does not have the lateral quickness to guard against Big Ten or high quality, you know, Division One players, and that's why he was at Coastal Carolina for his first three years. So, you know, I look forward to and really wouldn't be surprised if Frankie Collins comes in and takes over the starting point guard role here in the in the very near future. He's um, a mo- way more athletic guy, and, you know, he's quick twitchy, and I, and I kind of like that. I think that's what they need at that position because they don't ask him to do a whole lot of scoring. They do a lot more with the pick and roll, and I think he's shown the ability to do that pretty well so far in this Michigan offense. You know, this team is also very hit or miss with their three-point shooting. They scored 102 points against Nebraska earlier in the week and then scored what was it, 55 against Minnesota. They just did not shoot the ball well. And really until those two things, at least one of those two things gets fixed, this is a bubble team. Like, they're sitting at 6-4 and four right now. I, I can't wait for Michigan to be in the Sweet 16. I'm going to replay this podcast and post it on Twitter. Okay, and they might. They might. But if you listen to the first part, I said Michigan is not a very good team right now. Yes, yes, and my my whole point is that by the time it's March, they will be just fine, and they will be in the Sweet 16. I feel like we see this every single year. Like, they start off slow, and then they just hit the trail and just start burning people. Uh, Not not really. I mean, maybe like 7-2, 8-2, but four losses in the beginning of the year, I think they've only done that like two or three times since like the 2012 year where Michigan really started taking steps to being an elite basketball program under Bielema, Bielema, Beeline. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I mean, this has felt odd. And I think there's, you know, the reason for that is Michigan doesn't typically or hasn't typically played so many freshmen. And this is one of the when Michigan lost the group of Stauskas and Glenn Robinson III, that whole group, Mitch McGarry, they suffered the year after. That was a big loss for their team. They went 15-15, and 15, I think. And Michigan really hasn't lost that big core of a group since this year. I mean, Livers, Wagner, Mike Smith, Austin Davis. I mean, they, they lost a big part of their team. And I think we just – I know I did. I just assumed these five-star freshmen – would come in and make a big impact right away, and they just haven't yet. Bielema would make a hell of a basketball coach, by the way. I think you're right. I had two little notes I wanted to bring up here, and one was that Trent Frazier, even in a losing effort against Arizona, should have Illinois fans really excited. Kofi Coburn didn't really play all that great in that game, and Frazier's performance really kept them in it. He went, let me look here, I had it written down. He was 9 of 15 from the field, 6 of 11 from 3. Had 5 steals and 4 rebounds too. So he was doing it on both ends of the floor. I'd be really fired up for that. Arizona's a really, really good team. We saw, obviously, earlier this year when they played Michigan. They're just fundamentally sound right now. That's no big deal if you're Illinois. You move on. And the other one, Iowa. I mean, this kind of feels a little bit like a repeat performance of last year where if they're not outscoring teams 90 to 85, they're going to get themselves into trouble. And the only difference is, is they don't have Luca Garza. So I think Iowa, they are like one of those teams that just feels really built for a first round upset in March as like a 5-12 matchup. Speaking of the Illinois game, 
and I don't know if you guys mentioned this, but one of their better players, and he was adopted by me because he is one of my favorite Big Ten basketball players. Andre Curbeo from Illinois hasn't played since November 23rd because he's dealing with an injury. So just kind of take that into consideration when when talking about uh, Illinois and, and, you know, the games that they played that lost a couple games close. Just kind of take that into consideration. I'm not saying they beat Arizona with him, but I, I, it's a different game, I guess, if he's there. Yeah, I'll touch on a few few more things here. First, congrats to Rutgers on that massive win over number one Purdue. That that was a that was a crazy game and, and a obviously a big upset. Maryland had a great win over Florida on Sunday, like Hayden mentioned. That was also a great win for the Big Ten. They kind of got their revenge with Florida beating Ohio State earlier. Speaking of Ohio State, they continued to impress me with their win over Wisconsin. They were the more physical team. They controlled rebounding, you know, most most of the game. And, you know, Wisconsin is not the, uh, you know, typically Wisconsin's a better shooting team than what they shot that game. And, and since they shot poorly, you need to obviously rebound the ball. And so that was a key part of the game and they controlled it throughout the whole game. And, you know, EJ Liddell might mess around and win himself the player of the year honors in the Big Ten this year. He's been playing outstanding so far for them. So, that you know, really, really good things coming from Ohio State, except for the fact they can't stay healthy. Obviously, the Kentucky game got canceled this weekend because of an outbreak in the Ohio State program. So, you know, we wish them all the best. We hope that they're, you know, not – what am I trying to say? Any – symptoms uh, you know I any hope deaths any yeah well yeah uh, you know i hope everybody's all right and can get past this but for a team that was really rolling to have a week off and then to build up for this big time game against kentucky kind of a kind of sucks but you know you know their health is the most important thing right now wally my last point on basketball is is more of a question really that our, that we all know the answer to where in the world would Wisconsin be if they did not have Johnny Davis? They would be horrible. That guy, that guy carries them on their back, on his back offensively. And, you know, just thinking of <laughs> what they would look like without him is terrifying if you're a Wisconsin fan. I'd argue that it's basically the Wisconsin team we expected them to be going into this year. We thought they'd be a bubble team, and he's literally single-handedly removed them from the bubble at least so far. So for a Wisconsin fan, you got to protect that man at all cost. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon, brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best deltated edible. We'll be back next week to break down another crazy week of college basketball. I guess not that crazy this upcoming week. It's a pretty boring slate. We'll be breaking down the bowl games, at least the Big Ten bowl games, and give you our picks for each Look out for that. Because we're all free, it might be out earlier in the week than usual. We'll see. If you like our podcast, so please share it and spread it around to your friends and family. And make sure you go and follow us on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. What do you guys want to leave our listeners with today? Wally, I was actually hoping that you would go first there because we could kind of expand on that final thought uh, a little bit if we wanted to. Yeah, it's definitely not the, the the sexiest conversation piece, but everybody's aware of it by now. Urban Meyer fired, and rightfully so, 
from Jacksonville after only 13 games into his NFL, I guess, stint there. I don't even know what to say other than the debacle is finally over. And wow, how damaging this few months has been for his reputation. I know he wasn't loved by most of the country before this, but I mean, it was truly just almost comical. One either error or just terrible bit of news coming out after another. I mean, how fitting it was that it was him kicking his own kicker that got him freaking fired after, I mean, a hundred other things this year. So that was definitely my last thought. If anybody has anything at all they want to say on Urban, go for it. Yeah, I just have a quick question for the both of you, I guess, on this topic, because Wally, I think you nailed it. Are either one of you surprised that it didn't work out with Urban at this point? Hell no. I think most Buckeye fans and I guess Florida, Utah, whatever fans would have told you he's not an NFL coach. He'll step back in in three years when this dies down a little bit. If somebody big out there offers him a deal and he'll do well because that's the kind of style of coach he is with the recruiting and all that. But this is just, I think it's going to be irreparable. The damage he did to his reputation and who knows, maybe his, recruiting on this second wave around in college when it goes so well this time. Yeah, I mean, you got to think that the recruiting aspect of things, if he comes back into college football, is going to take a major hit. Just because, I mean, he was just, everything that people thought and maybe didn't really, like, actually know about Urban Meyer were all exposed when he got to the NFL. You know, he's not really that good of a dude. He, he thinks he, you know, holds himself higher than every single, like he thinks he has the authority of every single person. And it's just, I, I think that would be a tough sell, but I've been listening down here to the radio because obviously the Ryan Day to the Bears news has been, uh, or rumors have been leaked recently. And then with Meyer getting fired, everyone saying, the, the rumor that I've heard, I guess, is that Fickle to Ohio State and then Meyer to Cincinnati so I thought that that would be really interesting. Why in God's name would Urban Meyer go to Cincinnati? Well, okay, so I guess I should have expanded on that a little bit more because they don't think that he's going to get a big-time coaching job. After- oh, give me a break. LSU would break their own back to get well, him over there. Well, what oh, about my- Texas? Texas, oh, my- Miami, you na- you you name it. They'll, they'll, they'll be crawling to him. Well, right, and I guess... These guys were trying to say that, like, ethically right now, how in the hell can you hire Urban Meyer? Like, he looks like he, you know, his scumbagness is exposed. He's not a very good, all this stuff. And I was just sitting there thinking in my mind, I was like, what? Like, people that run athletic departments, they they care about, you know, the money more than anything. And what Urban Meyer would do is bring in a lot of money. So I, I was kind of surprised, too. I'd be surprised if he, one, gets back into coaching right away, and two, two well, okay, and then two, if Ryan Day actually does leave Ohio State, and then three, if he goes back into coaching and goes to Cincinnati. I don't know if this is a hot take. I, I, I think he is probably done. I, I, th- I think he's probably done. Just from, you know, his own standpoint, he's been, he's been to the – to the top of college football three times, right? With two with Florida, one with Ohio State, and he he ventured to the NFL, which everybody knew, probably including himself, that it was going to be horrible. But he, he tried it. It did not work. I, I think he's probably done. If I were him, I would go back to Fox and sit on a desk and talk about football because he, he was actually pretty good at that, to be honest. 
Do you my think Fox thought, would have him back though? Oh well, I I I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, like, I don't it's know, different dude. than football. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not like you're Texas or one of these football teams going after a coach or what a TV. Like, are you going to be getting that much better ratings by bringing in Urban Meyer? He was really good last time, but did he turn enough people off that they wouldn't want to watch? That's what I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. My final thought is about the NFL game tonight. Chiefs at Chargers, and I think this is a sucker line. The Chiefs are a only, only a three-point favorite against the Chargers, and I feel like being very irresponsible with it. But I kind of want to go against myself because I feel like this is one of those games where the line is weird and it's like goes the opposite. I, you know, I felt that way about the Ohio State-Michigan line the whole time. I feel the same way about this because in any normal circumstance, I would be hammering the Chiefs. But I, that line seems a little low to me. Yeah, I would be careful with that. Hey, I think the Chargers are a lot better than what people, um, you know, really think, and I believe that's in LA, right? I mean, Chargers money line, it is. Chargers money line. There you go. There you go. Uh, speaking of lines, though, too, I guess here my final thought. I did see that Georgia's line over Michigan had climbed up the nine. I, I'm not sure what it's at right now, but I did see that it did get that high. But you know, really looking forward to our bull episode next week and i i absolutely can't wait to continue now i guess my my long break here and get to watch some college football bowl games absolutely looking really forward to it it should be one of our best episodes out there looking forward to bowl breakdowns and all that it's gonna be great but thank you guys so much for listening we'll be back next week for episode 48 of pigskins and nylon I saw it happen and I saw your face and I figured I knew what happened. But anyways, I'm going to wrap us up. Casey accidentally shut clean feet so he kicked himself out. And I was... Dumbass. I was... (laughs) (laughs) 